0: Hello and welcome to What Memory? The podcast for survivors of stroke and brain injury. I'm Stephen Masters, and I'm here with Josh Reed. We both had strokes. We want to share our experiences, find out how other people live with brain injury and investigate what's new in brain injury research. This is episode three, the remembering episode. We're continuing the theme of memory from episode two with Dr. Scott Ferguson. All three of us are on Zoom because we're still socially distancing. Hence the sound quality. And that's something that I think both Josh and I have um, had a lot of problems with, is the psychological impact of not remembering things, especially not being able to remember new things. So when, I, when we first started on this podcast, we quickly found that one of the big problems was that I couldn't use the software because I never used it before, but I couldn't learn it. I would no. I would learn how to press one of the buttons, and then instantly forget. And then I would make notes about how to do it, but I forget where I put the notes, or the notes <laughs> didn't make any sense anymore. Remember, we had about six months of this trying to put all this together. Oh, yes. oh I would. And that's the thing: is the fact that I,
1: because of my eyesight issues, I can't help. I remember, so I don't have as bad as memory loss as Stephen does, but I can't. I remember how to do stuff but i'm like oh it's you said it was the right button and like, oh, i can't see the right button uh which right button i was like oh i don't know you just said the right button <laughs> so,
2: yeah. so you've got the, the the memory from one and the division from another and trying to bring the two brains together <laughs>
0: Essentially, yeah. it's, it's yeah, well, well they usually say that two heads are better than one but in, in our case it, it's, it's half a head makes up one <laughs> that's how it works really with us
2: <laughs> how, what, what, if i might ask you, what, what do you feel uh, your experiences are and maybe those with brain injury stroke everyone's individual but what do you feel are the most challenging so what, what is the impact of memory difficulty on on mood and on self-confidence and um so that that um, the emotional well-being that you have have you noticed that that it has had an impact
0: oh yeah completely because i don't actually trust myself with a lot of decision making because i'm not sure if i'm remembering the right thing and um things like medication have I taken the medication? Have I not taken the medication? Did I take it off my medication list, which was a clever idea, but not very clever idea when you can't remember if you put it down or not because I don't trust my own memory. And I also found that the, the, my family were, were finding it quite frustrating as well because we'd undercut the whole idea that I could function all day, all the time, at a kind of even level. There might be a bit I could remember stuff, like, you know, we're going out today. Oh, OK, yeah, all right. Yeah, we did tell you this, but, yeah, I know, but I forgot. And we put it in the diary. Yes, I know, but I didn't look. And things like that. So my family kind of act as a second memory bank, and I think they get a bit fed up with it after a while. They think, oh, my God, I can't remember a bloody thing, you know. And I think that psychological... Um, under under weakening in a way under undercutting my sense of reality is that i can't really judge whether i'm on an even path based on my memory of what i'm going to do in the future next week next month Um, and i think that psychologically is very very powerfully damaging because it slowly takes my confidence away faster than the improvements in my memory which are happening but it's not happening fast enough. And I think my confidence level is going down faster than my actual abilities are going up.
1: So I have had that memory last about a year or six months. Um, I really didn't trust my memory at all. No. Um, and because obviously I have to have lots of tablets because I have cystic fibrosis and I've had transplant meds, yeah,
0: um, of course.
1: I didn't really, I couldn't remember for the longest time if I'd had the meds, I'd like you, if I'd, uh, if I prepped them or, you know, luckily my mum had helped me, uh, with them. So she sort of sat me down and said, right, I'm doing your meds for you, but you can watch. And we had to do this for like a year. Yes. Whereas before, before the stroke, I could do all my tablets without even thinking, uh, I would just prep them. I would do like uh, two weeks in advance and then I forget to them. That's
0: very um, efficient.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Dosset boxes are definitely, definitely the way forward for <laughs> me anyway. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been difficult, but like now I'm, I'm having, I'm having help, but I'm also a bit more independent. So I've just, this month, I've just sorted out, for next month, for my chemist to be like, right, okay, uh, we're going to prep all your meds in doset boxes that we can do. And then there's a few which are uh, transplant meds and one which decays um, okay. magnesium. And uh, they can do prep everything apart from those. And I should be able to remember them because I have alarms, I have sort of uh, notes on my phone just to remind me, just, well, this needs. This needs to happen. <laughs>
0: right, so, in, yeah. the, in the first sort of year after you, after, after the stroke, then you were you were struggling. Then,
1: yes. Oh, yeah. No, and, and that's the thing. Like, I am still struggling, but it's not as much of a struggle as it was. I'm not at all over it. Um, <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. I wouldn't use that term at all. Probably for the rest of my life. But I have learned to sort of deal like. To understand what I cannot do, yes. uh, what I'm a- unable to do, and uh, then just slowly try and work on the things that I can do. And that's really, really helped. Small steps, it's frustrating, it's annoying being able to remember exactly what you could do before, yes. but you can't think about that. You cannot think about that because that way you go you lies and sanity.
0: You can't um, dwell on the so- path like that, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: And so you just have to go, right, okay six months ago I couldn't have done this oh wow I can do this right okay and you have to compare yourself from that point where you had the stroke yeah a real challenge for, for clinicians
2: are is is in order to in order to adapt and to compensate and to, to retrain support the memory you've got to identify there's a problem in the first place and so a lot of our work is trying to identify the, the problem that the the loss yeah. And I didn't decide what it is because, in order to try and compensate, fill that gap, create a system or some strategies, you have to know what you're trying to do it for. But that process in itself really does undermine a person's self belief in what they can do. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so there's this balance between how do you how do you support somebody with their memory to make them feel able and competent and self sufficient, but also using a range of tools at their disposal. Family are tools. they so your extended memory network. Yes. You're absolutely right. Our environment is our memory network. The phone is a great memory, you know, tool. Yeah. But so that, that there's a real, there's a real importance to try and to, to create awareness, but then to up, to skill up and to, to create resourcefulness rather than it being a, um, undermining someone's someone's sense of self or ability because you're right what that does is people feel or people report loss of confidence or an anxiety apprehension about whether they're going to remember something or feeling quite frustrated because they haven't or yes. feeling quite low because they don't quite feel the same person uh, so a lot of the, the psychologist's work is, is working with those moods, the impact is a secondary impact of the, the memory change yes. or the cognitive change on the mood um, but but in the process is trying to get them to feel that they have a, uh, res- you know, resources to draw on and a, and a, and a resilience that
0: they have it within yeah. themselves. And that's quite a hard balancing act as well. Um, so I can, t- I can especially see that if somebody is not aware that they have memory problems. I think I've finally woken up to the fact that I have long-term, short-term, and this kind of instant memory recall kind of thing, like making a cup of coffee. I've got problems in all three areas, but I'm aware of them. But I, I can imagine that if you're not even aware that you've got a memory problem, that must be incredibly confusing in trying to piece together what your life is, especially your past life, because you don't actually know if you've got a past life. It's like you're just existing, aren't you? You're
2: not standing on firm ground.
0: Yes, exactly. You
2: don't. You're not quite sure, and, and um, we're often trying to support people to understand what has changed and what was firm ground yeah. and can they reconnect with that and then and then to build up the confidence going forward and how to live a life with memory difficulties that's yes. a challenge that's a challenging that's a challenging process um and that's changing from a professional perspective but i can't i can't even begin to imagine what it's like to live it and uh, I, I suppose Stephen and Josh, you probably have have much more to add as to. What what does it feel like? What does it actually feel like?
0: It's very alienating, well, isn't it? It's a very strange yeah. alienation.
1: Yes. Very isolating. It's like, yeah, it's as you said, it's like you can't trust your own thoughts and beliefs. You're like, right, do I actually think that? Or has someone just said that to me? It's like, um, so I remember, so I was... I was in a coma uh, for two weeks, and I remember being told, "Oh, this is what I did. I pulled my tubes out. I was an awful patient." Um,
0: and, <laughs> really? I can't imagine. Yeah.
1: Ah, oh, well. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like so now. I'm like, oh, that's my memory. That must have been my memory of knowing that. But I'm like, no. My mum told me that like six months after it had happened. But I have now integrated that as my thought because I'm like, I need to try and grab hold of something to make, not make this gap, this, this hole that's in like the coma. And for almost two weeks before as well, I had memory loss. um, Just to, just to try and fill that in with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, And now I'm sort of like, right, I've got to actually know, I know that's not right. I know um, that something I I did this actually I did this, um, and I laid in bed and was in hospital for a month or two months, and that's what I need to accept rather than thinking oh I did this I did this I did that oh I listening to other people and thinking it was my memory. Well, what's really interesting though, Joseph, is that the, the people we often think that the the memory is, is lived experience is what we you know, know to be fact and what we've you know, seen
2: or heard or or so on. and it's that we so we experience. But actually the brain doesn't doesn't can't determine whether something is real or not. So we we the only indicator about what might be a an actual event is that it's just got a stronger um, or more detailed information surrounding it. So if it's real in that we've experienced it, it's more likely to have an emotional tank. It'll have yes. a greater emotional attack. It'll have sensory information. Um, so it's, it's got a greater weight. So a real and actual event okay. is going to, be held, going to be held more likely in our memory because there's more to it and there's I a really, greater emotion. And emotion is key to memory formation. Without emotion, we, we don't form memories. Stronger the emotion, yeah. stronger the memory. So okay. if you have an, an event that's been told to you but you can't record it, it's actually very weak set of information but if it's nothing yes. to replace it will become yes. the memory you have and later yes. on you won't be able to distinguish the brain can't say hold on now that was real though no, that one was Yeah, it just takes it for what it is and that's it's really fascinating how we kind of do that with all of our memories we we're continuously updating them we're continuously changing them they're not the original memory um it's it, it, it's again the memory is not something that's static it's it's fluid it's it's and it's and lots of people do say just about that so what did i do within that time when i came out from a co uh, from a, out of a co a coma or in a confused state and yeah. and they want to know and they're often told by loved ones and it's really important to know and that then becomes the memory that they have and then they read something else and they go hold on <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That actually happened as well. And then they're yeah. building up that, that solid ground to start from because I'm guessing is yeah. if, you, if you're you confused and not sure what's happened and your memory's quite poor, then you want to firstly go back and say, well, let's just get the basics, what just happened, and then build from there. Yeah, uh, I definitely so, agree.
0: So, so, what you're saying is that, that a memory isn't just like a, a photograph that you store and file away, if it has an emotional underpinning to that photograph, it's, it's an experience that you recall for emotional reasons, it will resonate more and you will remember it more for that reason. So the, the memory is not a purely visual one or uh, an audio no. one. It's combined with it's a lot kind of other... It's, it's a combination. of wow, so okay. that
2: Network of emotion, visual, sensory. So, what we smell, what we taste, what we, you know, what we hear, it can those can all be the parts of a memory network. So, it's often like you hear something on the radio and you go, Ah, oh, yes, yes, I, I hear a song and I, it takes me back to being in a certain place. This is yeah, true, and that yes, because that that's part of your network, um, and the same with the taste. Or so yeah. it, it's really interesting how. Again, memories are then formed within networks and can be reactivated in networks. Yes. And then how people following stroke brain injury are trying to A, form new memories. Well, there's some ways yeah. of doing that by making things uh, more connected. Um, right. So learning through association, having connections with you know, uh, the different aspects of a memory or how they recall what they've experienced by using one of those connections. So a, a, a cue, of, you know, a video or a yeah. photo or a taste might give a cue. And also that we often would say if you want to try and store a memory, if something you're trying to improve it, you need to give it some emotion. You need to give it something yeah. that's – so you need to get people interested. People never remember what they're not interested in we really do have to think about how do we get as many of those cues and those connections and how do we make it emotive how do we get it so that there's a there's something with it that there's an emotion attached that means we're going to remember it we're going to remember it to a greater degree um uh, yeah. because that's the conversation between the 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 hippocampus and the amygdala, the limbic within the limbic system, which is memory and emotion, and it's talking to each other. They're really yeah. important that they talk to each other, which is useful when we're trying to improve our memory. So there's lots of little things that you can come out with how to improve memory through knowing how memory operates, how it works.
0: Yeah. Understood. Well, that's completely changed my view of how memory works. I've never really understood that quite before. So now I can see yeah. that... Um, I just had the simple...
1: Uh, memory, sort of the generic one that we uh, are told, and just find out from, oh, oh, you have long, like short-term, long-term memory. But yes, yeah, so it's good to hear sort of a bit more on the depth of it. We, well, if you think about it, I suppose in a way is you.
0: There's some things in life that are pretty boring, and we've got to remember. We got to jazz those uh, up, yeah, yeah. Because yes. we need to try and remember them. And then there's yeah. also
2: something to be said for saying i'm sorry to my wife or whoever a parent whoever it may be and say i didn't remember that i can tell you why i didn't remember that (laughs) partly because (laughs) frankly i wasn't i wasn't really that interested
0: oh boy yeah yeah i can see i can see that would go down
2: well be very careful with that conversation but but actually trying to make things if you'd admit yeah turning around and saying if you made it more interesting I probably would
0: have remembered it. Is, is there, some, there, is, there is some truth in that. One example would be, if I want my son to remember something, maybe I just give him a Happy Meal or a chocolate, or I attach it to something that evokes a strong emotion. I'm not sure that's a good starting point to mice. No, no. you see the huge drawbacks in that, because it's kind of <laughs> gift-oriented, isn't it, then? <laughs> it is, it is. So, a new topic, then. Uh, in terms of how... People um are aware of themselves um, sort of existentially a kind of the human the human being is is a human being a collection of their own memories back through time, or is there something else beside that and so when you lose those memories, do you stop being who you were before are you a new person or are you not even a person if you can't remember who you were? This has got to be a Josh question, hasn't it? Josh, this is one of your questions, Josh. Very
2: philosophical. Let's go existential. Who are we without a memory? What what are your thoughts? Well, I think that, like, because obviously
1: I did philosophy. Um, I used to teach philosophy uh, before I had the stroke. Um, And I always sort of believed, I was just, like, in practice, so, like, in sort of, like, in thought, um, just... Yeah, I think memory is definitely a good indication of who you are because you can change. So, people, someone can have uh, plastic surgery all over them, and they are still the same person. It's just they don't look like it. Um, and and then now, I think even more after my stroke, I'm like, I was very very worried because for the longest time, I probably for like a month, I didn't realize, I didn't remember who I was, and didn't know what was going on and when i started to remember stuff and be like oh actually why do i remember this did this happen and i asked my mum and lots of people who sort of knew me they're like oh yeah no this happened why do you why do you remember that um uh, that sort of made me go oh actually i am i have identity i have an identity before before i had the stroke I, I was a person and now that means that if I remember that, then I can have my, give myself new memories. They might not be, uh, it might be very few to begin with, but I'm going to have, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be a person in a whole individual, um, which who lives from, okay, I don't know, like three years old. I remember my first, first memory to like now i have like years of like every single year i have memories and stuff like that so i can remember not vividly necessarily but like oh that happened this happened and then some of which are like oh wow i remember that vividly so i i feel like a continuous person from from where i am now
0: if you didn't have those memories would you still be the same person that you are now Without any of that, if, if before you had the stroke, you or after you had the stroke, you couldn't remember anything you, from before you had the stroke. Would um, that change? Would that change you? I don't think so.
1: I, 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 th- I think I would, because I, it would be almost like a limb, a part of your limb cut off. So you after a while you would be like, well, it doesn't exist because you don't you don't always think about your arm. You're like, oh, for the first sort of like year you might be like, 'Cause I, I well, so how <laughs> to explain it. Uh, so obviously because I, I use I used to be right-handed and and now I automatically go to use my left hand with everything because I had my stroke on my right side. And it's only with forcing myself to be like right. I've got to really work on my right hand. I've Got to really work on my right hand. I put my left hand behind me to like pick things up and uh, have drinks of water because otherwise I will forget it there. Almost I yes. almost forget it's there. Like just like oh okay well it's not useful to me so I don't need it. Um, and it's the same as I would assume like memory like and it does feel like that sometimes that. If it, if it's not there, then why does it matter?
0: So we could erase our past life and just start start new post-brain injury. And, and that, that so. makes that makes sense to me because and I'm presume that parts of my brain do remember something about me. For instance, I like drawing and painting and things like that. So that talent didn't didn't go even though I couldn't remember what I'd done before. It's certainly coming back now, but I mean, I had a whole career in design. So I do remember how to draw. And I remember in hospital being very concerned that I'd lost that ability because I I remembered I was a creative person, but I couldn't quite remember how. And I was getting quite panicky about that. But now I I feel a lot more secure that I can go back and and be more creative um, because that's still a part of me. Even though I can't remember what it was, like. and I think yeah. memory
2: is fundamental in sense of self. yeah, it's what I think is why lots of people have difficulty after stroke and brain injury and have memory difficulties. Is, is this that question is who am I now and and what did I used to be in there? And there's a process that you you, you guys got lived experience of this. I talk about this many times, most days, um, with people trying to find out, trying to work out who they were and then who they are, and then who they want to be.
0: And yes. that's, uh, that's something that's really important psychologically. Absolutely. Absolutely um, and, right.
2: it, and it's very individual. It's very individual. And, but memory plays a significant role in that. Those who have better memory are going to find that a lot easier. Those who have very impaired memory, it can be extremely challenging. Um, um, yeah, so I totally agree. And I think,
0: a, think in my world, it is, just as you described, is who was I? Who am I now and who am I going to be? And I think those three areas are just kind of constantly recalibrating all the time as bits of my brain come back again. And so I'm slowly building up all three, but I'm I'm starting from quite a low base. And I met people at Headway when we all meet as a group with other people who have got brain injuries, and I see people struggling far more than I ever did. With yeah. people who have, I have conversations with, them, and then I have the same conversation with them half an hour later, and I realise their memory span is literally half an hour because they can't remember what they said. And uh, yeah. I think they must be living in some kind of personal hell, really, where they must be aware that they can't think outside that tiny little. It depends little space on
2: in. how much you can. Yeah, it depends. I don't. I don't know because how much? How much you can uh, hold on to what you don't remember so you're very much living in the moment and there may be something they've said for just living in the moment it it does depend on how aware aware one is of the difficulties you have and and and, and how and how long that period of recall and retention is before it starts to dwindle away. So if it gives you the you know an hour or half an hour or a couple of hours where you seem to have a decent grasp, yes, then it might be more challenging.
0: So on a very practical note, then is how can yes. we how can we actually improve our memory, short term memory, long term memory, and, and immediate memory? Is there are are there tricks of the trade that we can kind of employ?
2: Uh, many, yes, many tricks. I think the, the, the starter is really getting to know what aspects of your memory you find are most difficult. So is it that yeah. you're having difficulty naming objects? Are you having difficulty naming people, remembering names yes. of people? Are you yeah. struggling with visual information? Are you struggling with information that you hear? Um, yeah. Is it struggling with things that you need to remember for the future? And these have different names. These are different types of memory. So prospective memories, future memory, and episodic memories, things that we've experienced and, you know, the experience, episodes we've yes. experienced, or semantic memories, objects, or facts. So we kind of really need to know well, which bits you seem to struggle with most because what we tend to do is go, here's a lot of strategies. It's a bit of a blanket. You know, people give out lots of strategies. Yes. Use lists, use a diary, use your phone. Like, off you go. Next. Um, (laughs) actually I'm a big believer in what you really need is people to go and experience experiment work out what are they struggling with get people to feedback what they're struggling with maybe do some assessment of what they're struggling with and then say okay so in your life in your situation this is what you want to be able to do so how do we target that particular if it is memory for future tasks and events
0: um, so basically you're saying first of all we need to have sort of memory audit which which you need kind a of memory like this, oh absolutely a memory audit, an which M- kind of works M- out which bits are missing and yeah okay M- got yeah. it. that's different for MOT. everybody, isn't it? That's different no, yeah, for everybody. You everyone. want an MOT? Check, let's have a little MOT. Let's check on what's difficult. Understood. What's, uh, and then you target those areas.
2: So if you are having difficulty with um, future events and appointments and uh, and and knowing what's happening and when, then then we're c- you're going to turn to uh, okay. Smartphones, smartwatches, uh, di- calendars, diaries. Now, if you didn't
0: use a calendar and diary in the past, you're probably not going to do it now. No.
2: Yeah. Uh, if you didn't use a phone in the past, you might do it now, but possibly not. But we are we are very lucky to have this, the beautiful contraptions of, oh, yes. of a smartphone, which have so many benefits for our prospective memory because it can give us a reminder of what's happening right, and when. Wonderful. We can go in there. It stores information. It's really wonderful. But if I yeah. said to you, okay, I'm trying to improve uh, naming of uh, so the names of people, like the smartphone's maybe not going to help you as much. I do. You could take pictures of people, have yeah. a note as to who they are, and no. then rehearse it. That helps consolidate the memory. It potentiates yeah. that connection, that that neural network. That's good. Yeah. But if you're not using your phone, well, then I'd say something really quite simple. Um, I think, Josh, I might mention this before, is whenever somebody tells you their name, always repeat it back to them. Yeah, always check yeah. the name with someone because what you've done there with your memories—you've walked that information into your into your memory store—and then when you're checking it, you're walking it back out again.
1: Yeah,
2: and then you're walking it back in again. So you've made that memory work three times. Yeah, which is more likely then to settle and store than it would if it only goes in the one.
0: So you're consolidating the memory by exactly that repetition.
2: So it's really important if we're trying to improve our memories, A, to work out what we're trying to improve. Yeah. And then to make sure the strategies are really targeted. And we don't have to be focusing on those strategies all being within our own mind. They don't have to all come from within the hardware of our brain because yeah. we know that that's been compromised. So we are got to work with it. But why not use things around us? Yeah. You know, have it around a house with Reminder notes or calendars, or organise your home so you have set places of things. You have family members who you get to remind you to, to do certain things. Yes, use your smartphone. So we want to use the these memory systems outside of us as well as using the hardware that we have. Yeah, uh, which we know is compromised is not working so well. So we can we can do quite a lot to help our memory once we understand how memory works and how it's affected us individually and and then it's about trying to put in some systems that means that that we are creating a way of living that just just takes a bit of that load off our memory store or it just helps it along a little bit so so
0: what you're saying is that 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 every type of memory loss has got a name in a way
1: most of it yeah
0: yeah you can kind of define it as something and saying oh you've got that 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 and that memory loss not that not these ones and then there is a kind of targeted way of addressing each one of these little problem areas with a specific kind of like you say the repeat the name kind of routine to strengthen immediate short term or way of recalling previous memories and stuff like that, pre, pre-stroke memories. And uh, I find that very comforting to know, actually, that, that, that um, I'm not just wandering out onto a kind of um, a landscape where nobody knows anything. It's good to know that people do realise that there are lots of different types of memory loss and they're, they know the ways to do it and uh, yeah, to improve and it. And there I are, think that's there are many types, and you want it. And it's also trying to think
2: about what works for you. It's very individual. Try to make connections that are fun and of interest and are individualised. So that's the key tips with memory strategies. Right. There's loads of them, but they have to yeah. be very much about you.
0: Yeah, so, you. so somebody's got to sit down with you and work out what's, what's wrong and then target strategies which will actually improve it. And I find that, you know, places like Headway, that is, they're really good at doing that. And I I think I wouldn't have got anywhere at all with my memory if I hadn't been that Headway kind of set me down the path of actually understanding, Mm -hmm. introducing me to you, but actually giving me some kind of overarching understanding of what my problems were. And I think that's, we need more of that, really, I think, because I think so many people with brain injuries are struggling To even comprehend where they are on the memory front, and I think that's a a huge um, rehabilitation problem, isn't it? Because there's so many of us.
1: Oh well, um, because I remember um, when at Headway we were given sort of like this. We were given a whole list. Like we had like a whole sort of like day on a list, saying like, "Well, these are the different types of memories. Have a look. Which one you think?" You affects you. Which ones affect you? And for me, I was like, because uh, this was just before, like, just after I joined, um, and I was probably two weeks in. And I was like, I'm still nervous, still sort of like, oh, I feel bad. Uh, everyone seems so much higher level than me. Um, I feel so bad about myself. And then I tipped off like probably like three or four out of the twenty list, and I was like, oh, well, prop so, like, wow, that. I didn't realise I was I didn't have I, I, I was this good almost with sort of my memory loss that, you know, it is possible to get that back. It is possible to with practice and work and effort and yeah, it was it's possible to get that stuff back or to at least to a level where it doesn't affect me as badly or if I know how to deal with it. So yeah, so that it was really, really helpful.
0: I think it's the confidence comes with knowing what w- where your benchmark is. When you, if you can benchmark where you are in the memory stakes, high or low, whatever it is. Once you know that, it's incredibly confidence boosting in terms of you think, well, okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, not as bad as I thought I was. Worse than I thought I was in this in this area, and I think that calibration is very, very, very important to do because without that, I would be totally floundering. I think.
2: Rehab starts in hospital and then is in the community with the NHS who are unbiased by the fantastic work by the local rehab services. But then there is also then a time for headway and a head time for stroke association because they can continue to support that self-assessment, self-discovery, looking at strategies. It's a nice progression of as people get better, they can almost do more. They can self-assess more. Uh, and that's that's really really important that that services offers that because otherwise people don't know a what's difficult necessarily they have to help they need some support by it and then what they can do about it where
0: where is memory rehabilitation going right now in the future just just that we don't know about what's what's new in all of that area in your area Uh, and
2: there's a few different things it's it is um how do we Make sure that we're offering assessment and rehab to the, the people in our society, and really to make it just inclusive. So it's not narrow. Yes. There's looking at technology and what does that place? How does that fit? And so we're seeing that now. And then there's looking at how emotional and psychological well-being and processes interact and can play a big part in how you can improve rehab. If you can, if you can get that that um, built into the rehab journey, people. People fare better. They progress quicker. Yes. Uh, so those would be the three
0: main that areas. That sounds very exciting, are, all three. Okay,
2: quite a bit of attention at the moment. Yes. How fantastic. Brilliant. And in a, a world of, of technology and, and the virtual world in particular, is there's, there's endless possibilities. It, it, what the key is, again, is, is identifying what is the breakdown and the gap in your life and your day-to-day that you find difficult. So that audit and yeah. assessment is key. And then the idea of assistive technology is if you have the ring – but the ring has been broken with, by the stroke or the brain injury, you want to find something that's going to fit that gap of the break to make yes. that ring whole again, to make it so it's circular. That allows the process to continue. So if you put that in your data today, it's thinking, well, Alexa, always caution with Alexa in terms of the security settings and who yeah. has access to your data. I think it's really important um, to make sure it's set up correctly. But people, some people do find that Alexa or likewise similar products can be available that you have that you have this ability to put information into the cloud that then you can draw on a later point so yeah. what nice. you're doing there is you're using a technology that is taking the demand off your brain because the brain is always having to work harder and you say i'm going to place yeah. it somewhere else for a while but i know i can access it or that device is going to remind me so smart um Smartphones, Alexa, are something we talk about a great deal with people because they've got lots of ability, lots of potential to to close the ring to help you complete Understood. a task. So whether it's forgetting a shopping list or remembering you need something from the shopping and then forgetting before you write the list so it never gets on the list. Whereas nowadays you can say, Siri or alexa or like i always like
0: it's quite nice doing that in this way because anyone's listening a laptop now it's probably going to activate some of these things oh yes of and, course it is well, yes but you can then sorry about that guys
2: to, <laughs> so you can log it on to a list which will remind you later so you can ask it yes. to prompt you and i think that's the key is your with these the technologies you're asking it to prompt you later to do something but there are yeah. multiple ways you can use these you can take photographs to aid memory. You can create yeah. photo albums or photo diaries. You can have video of experiences. You can take a video of what you're doing that you can then re- You can re- you know, re- review later, which is rehearsal.
0: Which so, is what are you saying basically that some of these technologies are basically sort of alternative brains? They are brain extensions. Uh,
2: Steven, we're outsourcing.
0: We're just outsourcing, we're outsourcing our brains. We
2: can't, we can't do this so well. People have a fear about this. They think, oh, no, don't outsource because then I won't be able to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's rubbish. If you're, if you're in a dementia process, so if you're with
0: Alzheimer's or vascular dementia, that's later life often. Um, they say use your brain or you'll
2: lose it. But, so that's relative. You want to keep it active. Yeah, good. But absolutely. that's a brain injury and stroke. It's not about use it or lose it on its own. Actually, it, what you want to do is keep it active, but don't yeah. worry out. Also outsource. Clever, play clever. I like
0: it. uh, I like this idea. This is a brilliant idea.
2: I think there's a lot of movement in terms of strategies with technology. And I'm sure there could be a further podcast on this alone. It's a huge area. I can can feel
0: a a podcast in the making, even as we speak. (laughs) Virtual
2: reality is another thing in terms of the early days of assessment and rehabilitation of quite set and specific tasks without having people move you can get them to be doing a whole range of mental processes or physical processes, but within a hospital or uh, uh, home environment where mobility is restricted. So if you think about, if you have a headset and you've got certain tasks that you can follow with simple instructions, you are exercising the brain without having to go very far. And that is something that has got great potential for, for encouraging those connections. What we have to be mindful of is we don't want to overdo it because it fatigues us. So yes. it's. I think there's yeah. there's a huge area of virtual reality that's on the horizon. Might put me out of a job. Um, and <laughs> and then and it's, the it's, use right. of technology uh, is in terms of strategies and compensation is really is really important to nice. be yeah. to be keeping an eye
0: on. So the roundup on all is this this then is that. Memory loss isn't just a blanket phrase to cover every kind of memory loss. There are specific memory losses for um, long-term memory, short-term memory, instant recall memory, and they all have different names like respective, episodic, semantic, stuff like that. And each one, secondly, each one has its own rehabilitation technique. So it's not a big, big overarching memory loss. I've lost it. There are specific things with specific treatments, and I think that's great.
1: Well, yeah, definitely, definitely, and the fact is that uh, we can now we've got the information, so we can audit. We can use the audit to find out exactly which specific treatment we need, whether that's a couple or uh, just one that we need to focus. So, one of the best ways and the new ways that. Uh, scientists are looking at this is to outsource the brain whether that's long term memory um or short term memory um it's uh yeah so alexas or similar devices uh, are really good for this they can uh, give you alarms they can yeah. set you reminders um and you know as with uh memory banks then you can have uh, photographs to show you all of your whole life
0: We were hoping to make the two What Memory? Memory episodes to coincide with Memory Loss Week, an awareness-raising campaign organised by Headway, the brain injury rehabilitation charity. Obviously, we forgot which week was Memory Loss Week. Who'd have thought? If you're coping with memory loss as a result of brain injury, we'd love to hear from you. Email us on whatmemory2 at hotmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-M-E-M-O-R-Y followed by the numeral 2 at hotmail.com. What Memory is our personal podcast. Any views expressed appear to our own or the personal views of our guests. We are not expressing the views of any organization or business. Our thanks to Dr. Scott Ferguson for joining us on this podcast and thanks to our amazing sound editor, Jamie Rutherford, professional sound producer and fellow brain injury survivor. Okay, we're done. The only thing we know for sure after brain injury is that the future is unknown and daunting, but it's only going to be brighter if we plan for it to be that way. Bye for now.